From today, I will be taking a brief break from uh, our series on the book of Genesis. And uh, I plan to preach through 1 Peter. Now, I was hoping to do morning and afternoon later in Ryarsh and, and do, do the series like that for three weeks. But I think it was a bit too ambitious. And so I will be looking at 1 Peter this morning and then carry on next week just for a few weeks. Uh, 1 Peter... Uh, is found after James, um, in between Genesis and Revelation. Uh, it's just after James and um, just before, uh, a, few, a few books before Revelation. Uh, 1 Peter is very relevant for us today. And it will be very relevant for the next weeks, months and years to come in light of uh, the circumstances in which we are living. We'll be talking or touching on the subject of suffering. We will also be touching on holy living. We will be talking about submission, even submission to our governing authorities. And so we will be looking at what what does the Bible say about these subjects, very important subjects for us and much more. So I'd encourage you to uh, read, read through 1 Peter and carry on coming as we continue with this series. This past week, as I was sharing the gospel in Snodland Market with a few other volunteers that came along, um, we, we were sharing the gospel and a lady passed by and, and um, we engaged in a conversation and she opened up to us about difficult events that she lived and things that she has gone through throughout her life we could see deep sorrow in her soul. And so what we did, we shared the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not because Jesus Christ suddenly will do away with all suffering and pain, but because in Jesus Christ, suffering is not devoid of meaning. There is a purpose, divine purpose, even in our suffering. In Christ, there is an inexpressible joy, even through affliction, even through suffering. Now, I wonder if any of you have ever experienced any suffering of any kind. Perhaps some of you might be going right now through through, through hardships, through difficulties, perhaps difficulties even as a Christian, or perhaps even difficulties for being a Christian. How can we regain joy, joy in our salvation? And how should we live in light of the world which is broken and there is affliction and suffering? How should we live in this world? As we wait for the coming of Jesus Christ, we'll We will be looking at the answer to those questions from chapter 1 of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. So I'd invite you to open up your Bibles there to 1 Peter chapter 1. And my prayer is that this portion of Scripture will kindle your hearts with a joy that is inexpressible. And that indeed we may also learn how we ought to live in the midst of suffering if 
If you haven't got a copy of God's Word, there's some copies of the Bible at the back. You can, you can um, grab one or you can uh, search on an app uh, or online. But I, I, I would encourage you to follow with um, the passage today. We'll be looking at three main points. The first point is joy. The second joy is holiness. And the third um, word is love. So it's joy, holiness and love. Now, I will be spending longer time in the first word so that you don't panic when I finish the first point. You might not say, still another two to go. No, the, the, the other two are smaller. And the third one is even, even smaller or shorter. So it's joy, holiness and love. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, our Lord, and we pray that you may help us to understand this portion of Scripture, that you may open our eyes of our understanding, that the opinions of man be left aside, and that your word, that you, O oh Lord, by your Spirit, may cause us, Lord, to understand and even change us, Lord, for your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Now, if I were to ask you, which of the disciples of Jesus Christ do you most identify with? I'm sure that many here would say Peter, Simon Peter. You see, Simon Peter was a bit of a fiery character. He, he was a bit of a, a bold guy and, yeah, I'm there for Christ. And suddenly he himself gave his back or he wobbled along the way. Yet the Lord used the painful episode in his life to build up his faith and to restore him. You see, Peter was used by God in the early church. If you can read about that in the book of Acts, how he preached and how the early church was established. And, and even here in this letter, Peter is used by God to reach out even beyond Jerusalem to the different places where there were Christians scattered and Christians who were scattered and suffering. But as he's writing to them, he's being used by God to help them through the struggle, both Jews and Gentiles. In the Bible, Gentiles are those who are not Jewish people. So both Jewish people and non-Jewish beyond Jerusalem. Now, I'd like to ask you, what would you say to someone who is suffering? What would you write to someone who is going through affliction or who is suffering? You know what Peter gives that? Yes. Um, there is hope in the Lord. There is hope in the Lord. And I'm so glad you, say, you said that because that is exactly what Peter tells them. There is hope in the Lord. You know what Peter does? He gives them truth. That's what he does. How to encourage a suffering believer. He gives them truth. In the very opening verses, one and two, Peter calls them elect exiles. He calls them elect because they are chosen by God. They had been chosen by God even from before the world began. 
God chose them. And he calls them exiles because they were uh, scattered across the land. And this reminded me of the people of Israel in the Old Testament. Do you remember when Israel were, were enslaved by Egypt? The, the Lord had already chosen them. Out of all the nations, this, this nation, nothing remarkable about the Israelites. But God set his love on them out of his own will. And God set his love on them. Stubborn people and messed up in many ways. But God chose them and brought them out of Egypt. And as they were traveling through the desert towards the promised land, this is what this passage reminded me of. But here, Peter is reminding these believers that it is God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the triune God who is with them. The Father, the Son, And the Holy Spirit is with this people. Look at verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of their dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God the Father planned and chose them. In the sanctification of the Spirit, the Spirit of God set them apart and sets them apart for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. What an amazing opening. What a beautiful, I mean, we could spend many sermons going through those two verses. But these two verses remind believers of of, of, of who they are. God loved them. And, and, and such a start to, to this letter, no doubt, would have left these believers who were struggling, struggling googly-eyed, wanting to know more. Peter, tell us more. Tell us more. And Peter does. He goes and tell this, tells them more truths by way of praise to God. He praises God because God is the one who gives them new life. God caused them to be born again. They were dead, but now they are alive. Once they did not believe, but now they believe. How? Peter says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, without the resurrection, without the finished work of Christ, you're on earth in his death, burial and resurrection, we would have no hope. But it is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that the Lord has brought us to life. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This Living hope is beyond anything this world can give. You see, people around us think that their treasures will last forever. That is an illusion. That is an illusion. They won't. God will destroy the world at the coming of Jesus Christ and he will make it anew. Destroyed by fire and renewed. And there would be a new heavens and a new earth. And that is the new inheritance that we will receive. It is ours in Christ. It is believers' inheritance. 
And it is the inheritance that God is keeping for us. And God is protecting us also as we go through this world. Because even if death were to strike, God is protecting his people. Look at verses 4 and 5. To an inheritance. So, a living hope to an inheritance that is imperishable. It will not perish. Undefiled. It doesn't get stained. And unfading. It doesn't go away. Kept in heaven for you. Guarded, garrisoned in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The Lord is guarding his believers through faith. Now. That in itself would be enough for the believers to have such, such, a, such, such a wonderful joy of knowing that God is keeping us and God is keeping that inheritance that is ours in Christ. But you see, Peter doesn't stop there. He tells us that even through suffering, even through suffering, we can experience that joy. Look at verse 6. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various kinds. Notice the word necessary. Necessary. God considers various trials to be necessary. Big trials, little trials, difficult trials. Disorienting trials, all kinds of trials. The passage says various trials. These are necessary for God to test. God tests to see who's in and to see who's out. He tests. How can we find if gold is real and genuine? Say a... A bar of gold. How do we know if it's fake or real? Well, we test it by fire. Real gold will melt at a certain very high temperature and fake gold doesn't stand a chance. And if gold is mixed with another metal, when you test it by fire, it separates it. Gold melts on one side and anything else melts on the other side. Real believers will hold to their hope they have in their faith. And counterfeit believers, on the other hand, do not stand a chance. Look at verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What a joy! What a joy. And if it weren't enough, Paul is reminding believers of a greater blessing. Of a greater blessing they have. A blessing that leads to an even increasing joy. And you know what that greater blessing is? Believers believe in Jesus. 
even though they haven't seen him, they believe in him. They love Jesus. Believers commune with Jesus. They love the precious Saviour. They believe in him whom they have not seen. Oh, the joy inexpressible filled with glory. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Oh, my precious Christ. Oh, precious Jesus. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What a joy. Now, you know what Peter's doing? He's he's just up in the notch, bit by bit, and he's living us in such a, such, a, such, such a wonderful place of inexpressible joy, but he's not finished yet. To top it off, he still carries on and, and reminds us that, 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 that Christians know a, the blessing of such a great joy that is greater and far surpassing that any prophet or angel ever envisioned. Ever envision, look at there in verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. That's in the Old Testament. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were serving not themselves but you, those who believe in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. As history is unfolding, even angels are gripped. They want to know what's next. And you see, it far surpasses what prophets and angels ever envisioned. And even then, my brothers and sisters, even though we are the recipients of such a blessed, glorious joy, even then we do not know the ins and outs of heaven accurately. You know, the Bible tells us this much about heaven. Very little. We know it's, it's there, but we, we have very little information about it. This is why 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. What a precious joy, even in affliction. Once I heard a sermon where the preacher uh, gave an illustration of um, these guys in, 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 in prison. They were prisoners of war. It's a fierce war and they were prisoners of war, I believe, through the Second World War. And they were there in prison and, and they were mistreated by the soldier, enemy soldiers that were Beaten, they were they were afflicted. They were given food that he mentioned of rice, riddled with maggots and 
And you, you can just imagine the terrible, dire conditions that these soldiers were going through, not knowing what's going to happen. Are they going to kill us? What, what, what will happen? But someone had smuggled a walkie-talkie. And so they could hear what was going outside. And as they were listening in and tuning in to the news of what was happening, they heard through the walkie-talkie, unbeknownst to everyone there in that prison area, the war had finished and they were coming to get them. And so can you imagine the, the, the excitement, the joy? Plate with maggots, no problem. Bring it on. And, and, and the shackles and the, and the hardship... Why? Because they had a hope. They knew what was coming. And that is like with with believers. Even in our affliction, we look forward to the hope that is ours. And the Lord is keeping for us. And He's keeping us also by His Spirit. I wonder if you have gone through trials. Perhaps you, you are going through dark trials even today. At this very moment. Perhaps you might be maybe at a crossroad. You don't know what to do. Where to turn. Maybe worry, fear, heartache or even dark depression have left you groping in the dark. Maybe even like Peter you have denied Jesus. Maybe the consequences of your past actions are simply coming back to bite back. Maybe you are experiencing unjust treatment by others, like at work, unjustly. Perhaps you may be the subject of unjust treatment even by the governing authorities of our day to day. All of these things can be so disorienting as Peter himself knew firsthand. But Peter also knew firsthand that when we forget those truths, it's not a good place. If we forget Bible truths, we do it at our peril. But God's promises are promises that light up joy in the life of our believer. In these you rejoice, he tells them. In these you rejoice. And so, my brothers and sisters, our first point is joy. And I'll encourage you and I exhort you, walk in joy. Walk in joy. Feed from the word and walk in joy. And so far we've seen that We are to walk in joy and inexpressible joy that comes as a result of that salvation that the Lord has purchased for us. But it's because of this salvation that believers are now to think and act in a particular way. And this leads me to my second point, which is holiness. Joy, holiness. Christian believers are like the people of Israel that had just come out of Egypt. We are on the move. Can you picture Israel moving, just going forward through the desert? And because we are on the move, there are certain things that we need to do to be moving. 
In ancient times, what people would do, they would wear, um, th- th- they would wear tunics, you see. M- men even would wear tunics. In fact, uh, somewhere I heard that uh, women would wear uh, trousers in a certain place uh, uh, for, 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 for uh, certain tasks at home, but uh, tunics were for men. And so, as the, they were wearing tunics, it would be hard to engage in physical activity or running uh, with, would be obviously quite hard. So what they would do, they would grab the tunic from in between the legs, they would put it from front to back, and they would put it around the back, separate in two parts, and then they would tie a knot in front of them. So it'd be like shorts. And, and, and that was called to gird up your loins. And so they would gird up the loins. And what Peter is telling us in this passage, he's saying, gird up the loins of your mind. Look at there in verse 13. Therefore, ESV says preparing your minds for action. But if you see there's a little footnote there. And at the bottom it says the Greek, gird up the loins of your mind. Believers are to gird up the loins of their mind to be ready for action. And they ought to be sober minded to have clear thinking. What happens when you're not sober? You can't even put a right step. But what happens I know that none of you ever, ever have ever not been sober. But you see, he calls us to be sober in mind, to be clear thinking with our eyes fixed on the promised land because we are on the move. And so we are to move with with sober minded, set your hope, verse 13, fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The old life has been left behind. The old pattern of our life is gone. Now we are on the move. The old is back behind us. Instead, we're now to be obedient to God in our walk. We're now to be like children, for we now are in a new relationship with God the Father. Before we were enemies of God, but now Christians are children of God and children Children are to be obedient to their parents. A loving father disciplines his children for them to become what pleases him. And parents ought to discipline their children. Children need discipline after all. They're descendants of Adam and Eve as well. And so they they need to be disciplined. They need to hear the word no regularly. They need a healthy dose of vitamin N. No. And, and parents need to ensure that they don't sort of like, oh, oh, okay, go on then, because then children know, ah, if I insist too much, I will get what I want. But they need to hear no. And when we say no, that we need to follow through and make sure that we exercise discipline. Parents need to... Ensure that the children do as they told. And if they do not obey, parents are to use the rod. Yes, spanking is what the Bible calls parents to do. And I know you might hear in the word saying child abuse. And yes, believe me, there is a lot of that out there. But listen to this. The Bible calls parents to use the rod. But it ought to be. In a measured, not in anger, in a measured, firm, 
and loving way. It needs to sting, and especially as they're young little ones. They, they, they receive more of that. And as they grow older, they get less and less of that. Why? Because they learn that actually, when mom, this, these are the buttons I mustn't cross, because then I, I will get. There's a time when we won't need any of that anymore. Fathers, as a heavenly father, are to exercise discipline. But fathers are also to ensure that their boys obey their mothers. One day I was at home and Raquel came to me and said, one of your boys is not doing as I'm telling him. I've, I've called him three times and he's just not doing what he's asked, needs to do. You see, boys don't particularly like girls to tell them what to do. And when they work out that mum is a girl and they're a boy and so they, they just don't want. So I summoned him and I called him and said, come here. When your mother tells you and calls you to do something, you do what she calls you to do as if I am standing next to her. You disobey your mother, you are disobeying me. And if you disobey your mother and father, the Bible tells us that you are disobeying God who calls you to honour your father and your mother. Understood? Yes, Dad. No excuses. A few days later, David wants to... You're not allowed to say who it was, David. Don't worry. <laughs> and so... I lost my train of thought. Where was I? <laughs> A few days later, it happened again. Come here, young man. What did we say? Yes, Dad. No excuses. By God's grace, it's not happened for quite a while. But you see, fathers need to ensure that. There is discipline. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. Like obedient children, believers are to conduct themselves in the fear of God. Now, when I say the fear of God, I do not refer to the dread of God. But it is a reverence towards God, who is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Reverence to God, who is holy, set apart. God is set apart. And we have been called to be set apart also. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your foreign ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like the Lamb, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Do you remember once the uh, story that Jesus gave of 
The man who found a treasure in the field, he finds the treasure, he hides it, he covers it up and goes and sells everything he has to go and buy the land. But now imagine that the man goes and sells everything he has and as he's finished selling everything he has, he forgets what he had sold his possessions for. And what would he do? Has it happened to you that you're going upstairs and then you stop and think, why did I come upstairs? Well, it's, hap- it's happening to me more often than, than in the past. I, I don't know why. But imagine he sells everything and suddenly he thinks, why, why? what would he do? Well, he would start sell- buying his possessions again or getting new stuff or trying to... But not so for those who have appreciated the fact that the kingdom of God is like this man who sold everything because that is the most precious thing. Believers are to be reminded that that living hope we have is... Not of this perishable world that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. My dear friends, how is your walk with the Lord? Are you walking in Christ or have you settled back to your old way of thinking? Are you sober minded, thinking clearly of that which is the promise that God has given Or are you intoxicating in your old past life? Are you striving in obedience and walking in holiness? Or are you living a double life? Are you walking as it is required of an obedient child of God? Or are you just winging it in front of the onlookers for everyone to see how good you are when in reality you're you're simply a double agent? Are you walking in the fear of God and faith or are you walking in disobedience and unbelief? My friends, believers are to walk in holiness. So that's my second point. Walk in holiness. Walk in joy. Walk in holiness. But one of the marks of genuine growth in holiness is a deep and earnest love for other believers around. And that leads me to my third and final point and shorter point, love. Love. The next few verses from verse 22, Peter uses two different words for love. Now you can't see there in the English because in English we only have the word love. But in the Greek, there's two different words. The one word is to do with affection for a brother. Brotherly affection or brotherly love. That's why the translators in the ESV translated it as brotherly love. But it's one word in the Greek, Philadelphia. But there is a second word. And by the way, the word Philadelphia is a love that is never the goal, but is a result of holiness. But the second word is agape. And this has to do with an intense, a, a, a deep and active love. Just like God loved Jesus Christ and loves Christ. Just like God loves his people. Two different lo- loves. So... What Peter's saying from verse 22 is that once we begin to grow in holiness, which will lead to a genuine affection for other believers, 
We are to love them earnestly. In other words, we are to put it into action, a deeply and and, and fervently love, imitating God's love for us. This means that love in the Bible is not what Hollywood tells us love is. Hollywood tells us that version of love that the the, the world tells us is, is, is a feeling, merely a feeling. And so you just need to go where your feelings go. And so a person married for two, three years suddenly says, oh, Cupid has has hit me and and I'm in love with someone else. No, 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 no. That is not the type of love the Bible calls. In the Bible, love, listen to this, is is an act of the will with emotions following and leads to action. This is why in the Bible we are commanded to love. Love is an act of the will and the emotions will follow when you start the step. Emotions follow and leads to action. And so believers... Are called to love. But how is it? What, how, how on earth can we even love the way that God loves us? You know how? Because God has caused us to be born again to a living hope when we heard the good news of the gospel and believed the word. When we believed, he caused us to be born again. Look at verse 22 and we conclude. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a single brotherly love. Or until you have a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That's the command. Since you have been born again. Not of perishable seed but imperishable. Through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass. And all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Love. Believers walk in love. They obey the command to walk in love. Now. Believers may ignore it, but the Lord will cause them through his love to take heed, even through affliction, because God is in control. Even affliction that's necessary is God that's in control. So walking love, walking joy, walking holiness and walking love. As we bring all the pieces, all the three strands together. I read of a story of a missionary who was uh, abroad working, trying to translate the Bible into the native language of the land. And in order to translate the Bible in the native language, he had to learn the language. And it took years and years. And he was struggling with a particular word. That particular word was the word obedience. He didn't know how how they said obedience. And so he kept asking people questions, going here and there. What's obedience? And and, and, and no one knew what he was talking about. And uh, and so he was scratching his head. And and one day, as he was just in a casual day after praying and wrestling, 
he was walking with his dog and the dog ran away and then he whistles for his dog to come and the dog immediately came straight away and the, a local said, your dog is all ear. And then he knew that the word for obedience in their language was to be all ear. And he was able to translate that, to be all ear. So my dear friends, this is the word of God. Be all ear and walk in joy. Be all ear and walk in holiness. Be all ear and walk in love. Amen.